Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Our special guest on today's show is Kelly Lockwood-Primus. She is the president and CEO of the leading organization that's shaping the future of the workplace for women, Leading Women. But before we get a chance to speak with Kelly, it's a Leadership Hacker News. Throughout history and in every culture around the world, extraordinary women have pushed society to think bigger, move forward and create. Thought I'd share with you the following women who are glowing examples of that ceaseless curiosity, boundless courage, and world-changing ingenuity. Thanks to each of them, women and girls all over the world are able to live with fewer restraints and have bigger dreams. And all men, women, transgender or other, have better lives as a result of their work. Here's just a few. Florence Nightingale also known as the Lady with the Lamp, was a pioneer in the field of nursing. She had a massive impact on the 19th and 20th century policies surrounding proper care. Her writings inspired worldwide healthcare reform. She and her team of nurses drastically improved the unsanitary conditions at the British-based hospital during the Crimean War and saved countless lives and influenced thousands more. When asked, Florence Nightingale said, I attribute my success to this. I never gave or took any excuse. Marie Curie was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person to win it twice, and the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two different sciences, both physics and chemistry. Marie Curie was quoted, in science we must be interested in things, not people. Ada Lovelace, was a woman who was said to have written the first instructions for the first computer program in the mid-1800s. Unfortunately, her work went undiscovered until the 1950s when it was introduced by B.V. Bowden in Faster Than Thought, a symposium of digital computing machines. Back in the mid-1800s, Ada Lovelace was quoted, The brain of mine is something more than merely mortal. As time will show, wasn't she right? Dr. Edna Hoover in 1971 achieved a patent for a telephone switching computer program that was among one of the first pieces of software patents ever issued. Even more impressive, she worked on her idea while still in hospital following the birth of her second daughter. She was quoted to have said, I designed the executive program for handling situations when there are too many calls. Basically it was designed to keep the machine from throwing its hands up and going berserk. Rosalind Franklin was a British chemist known for her early use of X-ray. One of her photographs led to major discoveries involving DNA structure. Although other scientists did take credit for it, Rosalind Franklin has been cited as the creator. 
Science and everyday life cannot be and should not be separated, said Rosalind. And finally, Mother Teresa was one of the 20th century's greatest humanitarians. She founded the Order of the Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic congregation of women that helped the poor, and was canonised as St. Teresa of Calcutta in 2016, and demonstrated leadership at every level of everything she did. And Mother Teresa was famously quoted as, Peace begins with a smile. That's been the Leadership Hacker News. If you want to share your information, insights with us and our listeners, please get in touch. Our special guest on today's show is Kelly Lockwood-Primus. She is the president and CEO of the leading organization that's shaping the future of the workplace for women, Leading Women. Kelly, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Steve, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. We're going to get into the whole prospect of what leading women do and what you're doing at the moment to shape the future workplace for women. But before we do that, it'd be useful to give our listeners a little bit of your backstory as to how you ended up doing what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, I had the good fortune uh, of joining a very interesting organization uh, when I got out of college that got me on the path of working in consumer products. And uh, after sort of moving around a little bit within different departments, uh, I ended up in uh, marketing and communications and found that that was the the right place for me. Um, I worked for pretty much every single U.S. corporation that made a product that had a plug and a cord. If you could move it around and it was portable and it had a plug and a cord, then I worked for them. And uh, over the course of my career, took a few um, risky moves, went and worked for some very entrepreneurial men uh, who had revolutionized um, some of the consumer product industry uh, focus areas and um, took a lot of risks and ended up uh, working in Massachusetts for this company called the Homes Group, um, which was a uh, mashup of two organizations, one very old uh, 75-year-old public company that was purchased by this very young entrepreneurial uh, organization that created the Homes Group and um, went to help them integrate the two companies together, joined it right about that time, and had a lot of fun doing it, worked really hard, was promoted to vice president, uh, and then within a couple of years asked to run one of the business units. And um, I'll tell you, it was uh, an, an enormously fun six years of my career. Uh, and then from there, I ended up rolling into one or two other um, organizations, again, run by entrepreneurs. And I think the, the thing that I uh, would say to anyone who um, doesn't, doesn't find comfort working for very large corporations, um, if you can find an entrepreneur to work for, the, the fun part about it is you pretty much have uh, a very flat leadership it allows you to take some risks and you tend to have the ear of the CEO at a much earlier part in your career than you would um, for much larger corporations. And gather lots more experiences as well as part of that experience, right? Yeah. And the fun part about it was that, you know, when you have organizations that are kind of flat and there aren't a lot of people there, uh, when a challenge comes up, you can raise your hand and say, hey, I can do that. 
even if you don't know what you're doing, they'll look to you and say, okay, it's yours. You take it, you run with it. And if you screw it up, oh, well, we'll try it again. And so um, you get a lot of experience that you wouldn't have elsewise. And uh, it was while I was working for this one um, corporation that was looking to go public, I had uh, moved temporarily to North Carolina to do that. My home was still in Massachusetts, but I was living down there and sort of coming back and forth uh, a couple of times a month. And when I joined the company, the idea was it's going to be 18 to 24 months before we go public. So as the head of marketing and communications, my job was to really get the brand out there, get the awareness going, make sure our products were in stores, make sure, you know, the industry was talking about us, do all of the things that you know, bring buzz to the company. <laughs> and uh, within the first couple of weeks of getting there, the timeline changed and it went from 18 to 24 months to nine. <laughs> so nothing like a bit of pressure to get things moving. <laughs> exactly. Nothing like a bit of pressure. And there were several of us who were new to the organization. So there was a lot of uh, crazy long days and a lot of hard work. But what I was finding um, for me was that, you know, I had a lot of spare time on my hands. I, I was living in an apartment. My husband was still in Massachusetts. Uh, so I started mentoring women at uh, Wake Forest University's business school and had a blast with it. And long story short, company goes public. Yay. We all go to NASDAQ and uh, celebrate and we have a really great time. And there's a woman that I knew in my career who was leaving the company she was working for to go work for this women's leadership organization in Dallas, Texas. And she's um, still a very dear friend of mine and a business development person. Um, and she wanted me to come and be the marketing person with her. And so she introduced me to this, this woman CEO, Fritz A. Woods, who um, was a very dynamic person and was shaking up things for this, this organization that had been around, I don't know, about 20 years. And long story short, uh, I was offered the job. So lock, stock, and barrel, we moved to Dallas, Texas. And I spend the next couple of years working with this organization to bring more women into leadership. That's the focus of that organization, the Women's Food Service Forum. And that's where you got your appetite for really driving the agenda, right? Yes, absolutely right. So uh, and then, you know, as life would have it, uh, we chose to move back to the Northeast. And I, I reached out to the woman who uh, founded Leading Women really just to ask her to connect me with her network. I wasn't, wasn't 100% sure I was going to stay in leadership because I, it, I'd only had a couple of years in it. Um, but uh, she agreed to meet me for breakfast one early Sunday morning. And halfway through our breakfast, she asked if I would come and work for her. And that was in 2013. And uh, I've been with leading women for the last seven years. And uh, Susan retired last year and uh, I stepped into the role of CEO, a president and CEO. Super story. Yeah. Yeah. It was so leading women now is really taking the drive to research and get underneath the skin to really help drive the 
gender equality and close the gap that exists still in many organizations and many companies across the world. Just tell us a little bit about what you do with Leading Women now. Okay. So when founded, Leading Women was based on research, again, around competencies of leadership and what were the true skills that rising stars needed in order to be seen as future leaders of companies. And what we realized, or what was realized at the time, is that the career advice women was getting had didn't include any of these uh, skills. Women were being told to do things that uh, made themselves great and to engage other people, but it never talked about really demonstrating that you understood the business. And so leadership development programs were created and partnered with uh, corporate clients to help teach women how to be leaders and how to learn the skills and demonstrate the skills necessary to become senior leaders of organizations. And around about, uh, I want to say 2013, so 10 years in, uh, when I started to, when I joined the company, we had just started to do research around what we call gender dynamics. And those are basically the mindsets that managers have that end up putting barriers in front of women. And by mindsets, I mean decision points that are made in people's careers. And, you know, we've, you and I talked about this uh, a while back, but when managers are making decisions about who's the next person to lead a project or take a role or, you know, go somewhere in some other division of the company uh, to get certain skill sets, The mindsets that those managers have tend to make make it so that they choose men over women. And it's usually because uh, women have family uh, and they see that as a barrier to her wanting to perhaps travel or take an international assignment or, you know, have to commit to significant hours at work. So let's just say, you know, that's just one mindset there um, that women are more focused on their family and less on their career, which is in most cases, you know, not true. But without Mm -hmm. without asking her, how do you know? There's almost, I guess, a preconceived expectation. And therefore, rather than enter into the debate honestly and openly, because often we do that with fear of what we're going to get back and how do we handle it. We then just avoid the conversation, I guess. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. And so the, the mindset that the manager has doesn't get explored. They don't have an opportunity uh, and the employee doesn't even have the opportunity. And there's a, there was a great example of this that I was just reading, uh, the story of these two director level people. One's a woman, one's a man. Uh, there's an international assignment coming up. The vice president makes the decision without asking the woman because she just got married. So he makes the assumption that she's going to want to have children and instead tells the male employee that he's got the job and he's got to go over to, um, forget where it was, Germany, I think. Yet he didn't ask the man what was going on in his life. And they were about two weeks away from announcing that their, his wife was pregnant or that they were pregnant. And so, you know, he takes the role, he goes over to Germany. The woman 
is the the woman who didn't get the job was the one who wanted the international assignment. She and her husband were both looking to go abroad and work outside of the U.S. The other family it ended up in a catastrophe because the, the wife's pregnancy was a very difficult one. The male ended up being terrible at the role because he was so stressed out. And they lost both employees, both two very high performing employees. The woman left the organization because they didn't give her the opportunity. And the man left the organization to come back to the U.S. and took a different job so that uh, his wife and he could be near family. It's such a shame, isn't it, that that kind of bias will impact not only on productivity and the well-being of people, but fundamentally, that's going to make a massive dent in that organization's plans to go forward as well, isn't it? Exactly right. And so a simple conversation between that vice president and the two people that reported to him, if he had just asked the question, I think he would have been surprised, obviously, clearly, uh, surprised at what could have happened and how much more successful he and his team would have been. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no doubt that the evolution of women taking leadership places across teams and boards has definitely increased over the next five years. There's still a lot of work to do, isn't there? Yeah. What's been the biggest contributor that you see that's enabled that to happen so far? I think it's the data, to be honest with you. I think probably about 10 years ago, when organizations like Catalyst and others started publishing, including Credit Suisse and financial organizations, when they started publishing research that showed organizations performed better when they had more diversity, gender diversity in their leadership, when they were able to show direct correlation and data to support it. So it was no longer this women's lib movement or, um, you know, any kind of uh, women's initiative. When they showed it was good for the business, that got everybody's attention. And so I think when I have conversations with CEOs of companies and head of HRs, they're like, no, no, this is no longer the right thing to do. It, we have to do this. We have to do this because the organization needs to perform better. And it's as simple as that. So I think, you know, the past 10 years has shown organizations waking up uh, and leadership waking up to the fact that they need it. Uh, getting there is a whole nother story, which is why we're not there yet. And why in a recent presentation I did, I think we're at just under 11% women in senior leadership roles in the Fortune 500. That's still way off pace, isn't it? Yeah, way off pace. What's causing that delay, do you think? So, you know, when we talk about managers' mindsets, people at in the C-suite are managers of people as well. And I think it's sometimes challenging to be uncomfortable. And it's a lot easier to hire someone or promote someone into a role um, that looks like you and that acts like you and that talks like you. And so until you get comfortable being uncomfortable uh, or you finally have women demonstrating those senior leadership skills, it's easy to be easy. It's easy to pick, you know, the guy that looks like you. Right. So one of the things that we do, you know, at Leading Women is we focus on teaching and sharing our knowledge and research around gender dynamics so that 
men can get more comfortable working with women. And understanding that their leadership style may be different, and that's okay. Women tend to be more collaborative. Doesn't mean we don't drive for results and we don't aim for goals, but we do it by bringing others with us as opposed to sort of a command and control leadership style. Right. And many organizations are, are finding that's important today to have a more collaborative leadership group. Um, but not all of them have gotten there yet. You know, the finance industry struggles with that. A lot of industries struggle with that. But they're but but they're becoming more aware, I should say. And often folk think of this as a, a male unconscious bias. But in your research, actually, you also notice that this bias also can present itself in women as well, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't want to take the time to tell a story, but I will say when I was a global vice president, I made the same mistake. I made a decision and talked to a woman who was going off to maternity leave. I talked her out of her job and into another one in my department because I thought it would be best for her so she wouldn't have to travel. And knowing, you know, first time mom, I thought I was doing her a favor. And she came back from maternity leave and took this role. And, and unfortunately, uh, it was not a very autonomous role like she had before she went on maternity leave. And she clashed with the manager. And she was very upset with me because I talked her into the job. And she ended up leaving the organization. So, you know, it's, it's these mindsets that we talk about, these gender dynamics that we talk about, there are 10 of them that we work on globally and, and try to encourage managers to see from different perspectives. And when I say manager, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, mindsets are mindsets and everybody has them. And you make decisions based on what you think. So we try to help people think differently. Part of our work, we teach this whole principle of unconscious bias and how it formulates our belief systems and therefore our mindsets and we run this simple exercise around lots of different things but one of the which is uh, a gender-driven unconscious bias and i would say 99 times out of 100 both men and women fail this miserably because of that unconscious bias that they carry yes you know there's this test i took once and i can't remember the name of it it's online uh it it asks you to associate names and pictures and words with uh, male and female and so forth. And even me, after 10 years of doing this, going through it, my bias is about 60-40. So that's not bad, oh. but I'm still associating words like family with a woman as opposed to a man and you know so on and so forth. So the reality of it is every single person has mindsets that are part of how they grew up. It's part of, you know, the work that they do, who they interact with, and so forth. And so without bringing those mindsets up to light and showing how you could, how they could potentially create barriers for others who don't look like you, um, then you don't, you don't have an opportunity and so one of the things I, I will tell you, it's, it's so much fun when, when we go in to a construction company that has 10 white men on their leadership team, half of whom are saying to you, you know, why are we even here? There's no problems. Uh, and after, you know, spending a couple of hours with them, 
um, they turn around and say, wow, that was the most enlightening conversations we had ever had. And I never realized I was treating the women on my team like I was their dad. You know, that is an amazing statement. Yeah. And um, it's, it's important for people to recognize that they have mindsets that make, help them make decisions that are not necessarily always in favor of the right answer. The key here is just having an awareness that we carry this mindset and it's an unconscious bias. It's in the title, isn't it? We, we rarely pay attention to it. But having more data and more right. conscious awareness, we can then be more thoughtful about what we do and how we do things, right? Exactly. And it's having the conversations for absolutely. For sure. Now, I've spent many years leading different teams and different organizations, and I feel really proud that of a significant proportion and more than significant proportion in many cases of my leadership team have been women. And I pride myself in the fact that when I hired those individuals, I hired them to do the job of work that was the right for them. And their gender really didn't come into it. And I can honestly say that categorically, but was often then subsequently accused of Steve, you're driving the female agenda. There's positive discrimination here. Um, how do you respond when you hear that? Bravo. <laughs> I think that's lovely. So, you know, we've never, I've never heard the term positive discrimination. And I think it's interesting that people call it out. Had you hired 50% women and 50% men, do you think they would have asked you that same question? Mm. It would never have happened. No, Exactly. And so, no. so why is it by hiring more women, all of a sudden there's, there's something going on, right? There's something going on. Well, clearly, you know, you're, you're leading some female agenda, right? positive discrimination, just because you hired more women than men. And, and that makes no sense, right? You want to hire the best talent. And, and hopefully, um, for those of us who, like yourself, who are uh, smart enough to realize there's so much we don't know. It's best to hire people who are smarter than you or who know more than you or who know different Definitely. things than you in order to be successful. So does it really matter if it's a man or a woman? Could it just be the best talent? And if it happens to be a woman, does it have to be positive discrimination? Wouldn't it be great that we just get to a place where there is a recognition that the person's been hired for the right reasons and it doesn't matter whether they're blue pink brown black man <laughs> woman you know wouldn't that be a great place to be or other or other yes it would be amazing if we can get there and i think you know um here in the states there's been a lot of stuff going on um in society and i think we may actually see a much more rapid change than anyone would have guessed at the beginning of this year. And, you know, new decade, and we were really focused on, okay, how can we be as impactful in this next decade as possible for women in leadership? There's a huge movement, isn't there? Right. And helping organizations recognize that, you know, they may have set goals for themselves, but somehow didn't make them in the 20s in, you know, from 2000 to 2020. And so what are they going to do differently? As an organization, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to commit to, to really reach these diversity goals now that now beyond gender and all of these riots and all of this turmoil that's happening in our society? The amazing part about it is uh, organizations are committing to change more rapidly than ever. And 
you compare that and and add to it this COVID-19 and forcing people to work remotely and yet work still gets done and change is happening so much more quickly. Um, It's very exciting. I mean, uh, first half of the year, it's been really exciting. It is, definitely so. And also, here's the thing. The research also suggests, doesn't it, that the more women you hire into your leadership teams and the more executive leaders you have at board level, there's a direct correlation to better communication, improved productivity, but also there's a bottom line income outcome here too as well for getting the right results from hiring women. You also improve your revenue. Exactly right. Exactly right. And from my from a conversation I've had with someone in the insurance industry, uh, risk factors are also mitigated and uh, the cost of doing business goes down because there aren't as many risks being taken by organizations because they have a, a more balanced approach to decisions. So financial performance goes up, risk goes down, more people feel engaged uh, the productivity goes up. People within the organization feel more um, included, and uh, outcomes are amazing. There's there are so many different statistics out there, from Credit Suisse, from Catalyst, from all types of organizations that just show you know fifteen to twenty five. I think McKinsey's at twenty five percent more productive and innovative when you have gender diversity in your leadership. That's amazing stats, isn't it? It's amazing. And when, when, when leading women talks about gender diversity, we really talk about gender balance. We're not saying it has to be perfect. Not every organization is ever going to make it to, you know, a 50, 50 leadership team. Let's be real about that because there are certain industries where you're just not going to have as many women employees. But there is a balance that can be achieved throughout the organization. And it doesn't necessarily mean every executive team is going to be 50-50. But throughout the organization, we we have one client that hires 33% of their direct out-of-college hires are women. And we said to them, well, therefore, throughout your organization, there should be 33% women at every level of your company. And when you reach that, you've hit gender balance for your company. I love the principle of balance as well, because it it takes away notion targets that organizations often give themselves. And actually, if you just have a target of balance, then it's okay to be subjective. It's okay to get right fit then, isn't it? And then you haven't got to worry about a a number on a a bonus sheet or a target sheet. Right. And for those organizations, you know, who do put that number out there and say, you know, by 2050, we want to have 50% of whatever area of the organization as women. That's great if it makes sense. If, if that's, if, if you can hire women into those roles, that's great. But there are some places and some challenges right now when you have only 23% of the people graduating with certain degrees are women, you're going to struggle right. to hire yep. 50% of your staff, right? So let's be realistic and let's focus on bringing balance throughout your organization. 
So, you know, so many, so many companies start with the recruiting and think that's going to solve everything. And it's not for women in leadership. You can recruit as many women as you like, but if you're not creating the opportunities for them or giving them the opportunities and promoting them, you're going to lose them. Sure. So sure. It, it, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be done. Um, but having more women in your leadership will absolutely help the organization perform better. And the statistics and data show that that's not me. That's everybody else's data. Sure. So if I'm a leader, be that male, female, transgender or other, and I'm just wanting to progress down, start to close my diversity gap within my team, where would be a good place for me to start? I think it's important to take a look at who's on your team. And as you are recruiting or hiring in at whatever level, make sure you ask your, you know, the recruiters or whomever is bringing you the slate of candidates, ask them to give you a balanced slate, make them do their work. Tell them that you want to see three men and three women. If you're going to interview six people, ask them to do the research and find you competent people, both men and women, to apply for the jobs or to interview for the roles. That's the first thing you can do. The second would be to make sure you're looking at the career plans that you have for all of the people that report to you. And I guess by doing so, you're going to be entering to those conversations with a good balance of individuals, being thoughtful about direction of where your organization's going, and and balance will start to take care of itself then, right? Right. And and have the conversation with, with each person that reports to you to say, what is it you want to achieve in your career? Where do you want to go? Because not everybody wants to be a leader. Some people just like the job they have. But for those who want to be a leader, then you say to them, okay, here's, if this is the role that you're aspiring to, here are the three things we need to do to help you get there. Right. These are the experiences you need to have. And if you aren't able to have those sort of honest conversations with the people that you work with or that work with you, then how are you ever going to have balance in your in your promotions. Because if you're only comfortable talking to the white male who works for you as opposed to the others, then you're never going to get there. So I think it's being honest with yourself that you need to have the conversations with the people that you work with and open the door, ask the question. Love it. And often starts with ourselves too, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So Kelly, at this part of the show, we're going to turn the leadership lens on you. Now, you've been an experienced leader of others for many years and lots of different scenarios, lots of different experiences. So I'm going to hack into your leadership mind now. First place we want to go to is to find out what your top three leadership hacks are. Great. I love this. I love this part of uh, the podcast. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, And I'm hoping what I share is uh, enlightening and a little bit different. So the first one I'm going to say is you've got to act as if you own the business. As an employee of any company, whether it's large or small, you need to know how that business runs. You need to know how you make money. You need to understand how decisions are made. And you have to act like your impact is going to make the company more successful. 
You are not just a cog in the wheels, right? You're not just someone in there to push paper around. You need to understand how the business makes decisions and then make sure you are demonstrating that you understand that. Because as a leader, we look for people like yeah, you. Love it. Uh, second, and this is a, a great story. I had a CEO, the one who promoted me up from, from a director to a vice president and then to a GM. And one of the things that uh, he said to me after a meeting in which I got a lot of people not happy with me because I was asking a lot of questions. He said to me, don't stop asking questions. It's the only way that you will get the full picture. Make sure you ask all of the questions, whether they're easy or hard, because it's the only way to truly know what's going on. So as a leader, make sure you ask questions and then listen to the answers, right? You, you can't just ask questions and then go on your merry way with your own perspective. Ask the questions. And to listen to the answers is sometimes a tougher bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't like what you hear, for sure. But it, it will make you better. It will. It will make the organization better. It will make the performance better. And it will actually help the people who are being honest with you to know that you're going to hear them and you're going to listen to them. And that's really the third leadership hack is you've got to get perspectives. Groupthink will kill you and your company. If you aren't able to ask the questions and engage people who are different from you and have different perspectives. And sometimes it's as simple as getting the marketing people to talk to the engineers or getting finance to talk to supply chain, right? Or anyone within the organization, if you can't get the perspectives that you need as a leader, again, groupthink will kill you. Definitely so. So, yeah, perspectives are critical. The next part of the show we're going to kick into is what we affectionately now call hack to attack. So this is where maybe something's not worked out well or we've screwed up in our work or our past, but we've actually used that now as a positive in our work and our life. What's your hack to attack, Kelly? <laughs> okay, so this story talks about uh, me as a um, new vice president, and I had... I needed to reorganize the department and we were a service. We are a marketing uh, organization and we, you know, were considered a service within the company. All the business units came to us. We did all of their brand work, all their creative, all of their packaging, you know, all of the materials that they needed in order to go to market with their new products. And I needed to reorganize my department in order to elevate two people up uh, a little bit higher in leadership so that I wasn't uh, having as many people report to me because I had some other things I needed to be doing. And I made the decision to uh, promote this woman who had a uh, really great relationship with um, her business unit. And by promoting her, it meant I was taking her away from the day-to-day -day interactions and we were going to backfill her role as a, a business partner to this business unit. Um, and I didn't let the business unit know, leaders know that I was going to do that. And as a result, they were quite upset with me 
because they felt I wasn't giving them the opportunity to be a part of this transition. And it ended up creating uh, quite a bit of struggle and personality clashes and uh, hard feelings. And that was my fault because I should have let them know and I should have engaged them in the process and the transition. So instead, you know, we internally in our department hired a new person and then introduced them to the business unit. Uh, and didn't ask for their input. That did not. Big lesson, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very big lesson. Very big lesson indeed. Had had my department been an external agency, you know, a marketing agency, we probably would have been fired. Right. It's important to recognize that when, you know, you have teams that really work well and you are going to make a change to those teams that you best engage all of the partners in that team to make sure that they are coming along with you um, as transitions are made. Otherwise, you may hit a very hard wall. Never underestimate that, can you? No, you can't. And, And I, you know, a young leader at the time that was new, and didn't recognize what I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And let me tell you, when you hit that wall, it is really hard to crawl over it. So definitely collaborate as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And the last thing we would like to do with you today is do a bit of time travel. And I'm going to take you on a metaphorical journey now. And you're going to bump into Kelly at 21 and you have an opportunity to give us some advice. What would it be? (laughs) Yeah. So Kelly at 21 uh, had no idea what her career would be. She had planned for many, many years to be a lawyer and um, realized while I was in school, uh, in college, not law school, thank goodness, Uh, that it really wasn't for me. And so um, what I would say to her is it's okay not to know and use the time to learn. So I I had multiple roles when I, uh, over the course of the first couple of years when I came out of school and I didn't know where I was going to be and what would make me happy. And so the reality of it is the journey will make you happy because you will find out so much about yourself and about business and what you like about it and what will be fun about it. And you'll meet a lot of great people. So don't worry so much about where you're going to be. And it's okay not to have an answer at 21. That's lovely advice. I think many people were actually certainly at 21, I cast myself back to that time would be so focused on the destination that we will perhaps not give as much attention to what the journey can give us to. Exactly. If I could de-stress myself at 21 to realize how much fun you can have in your career and what the, the opportunities are endless for anyone. And you can end up in a job like this and frankly, I think my entire career said, I always said, I never really want to be the CEO. I'd like to be the president so I can keep running the day-to-day business, but I never thought I'd really want to be the CEO. And now that I am, gosh, I love it. What a great opportunity it is to meet and talk with people and come up with ideas that maybe someone else hasn't thought of yet. So the journey is important. Super stuff. And it's no surprise, Kelly, that you've arrived at where you've arrived at. And we've had some fantastic chances to kick into some of your leadership hacks, but the journey doesn't stop there. For folk that want to get to know a little bit more about you and about the work that you do with leading women, how can they connect with you? 
Ah, so they can find us uh, on uh, our website, leadingwomen.biz. Uh, the BIZ is intentional for uh, everyone to recognize that we focus on business. Um, you can find our blog at that address as well. And uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn group. We share a lot of information, all the latest research. And um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, of course. But uh, the majority of our time and energy is spent on LinkedIn. When folks have finished listening to this podcast today, they can head over to the show notes and click straight to your links. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Kelly, for me, I just wanted to say thanks ever so much for joining us on the Leadership Hacker podcast. I've had a great time talking with you, uh, not just to table in the times we had before. And you know, I know our listeners will take a lot of insights, thought and inspiration to think about the diversity gap that exists or not as a case maybe in their organizations. But thanks for being on our, our show today. Thank you so much. I look forward to listening in on your future podcasts as well. Thanks, Kelly. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush and I've been the Leadership Hacker.